uh, to share some thoughts about the creation story. A little background about me. I am the, the B team of uh, the Giller family. How many of you know my wife, Lisa Giller? She teaches a lot here. Yes, so uh, she's a really good teacher. Um, they asked me to be the B team, and so I'm so glad I'm going before her. Uh, she's teaching in a couple weeks, and so I didn't want to follow her, but very blessed. We've been married 30 years in December. We have, oh, thank you. Hey, all right, all right. We moved to Charlotte uh, 13 and a half years ago, so this is, uh, I count by school years. You'll know why in a second, but this is my 14th school year uh, in Charlotte, and uh, when we came, we kind of did the church hop around to find where we felt like was going to be our home, and then we landed at uh, church at Charlotte, uh, and for about 10 years, we were Saturday night attenders at Church of Charlotte. Any fellow Saturday night attenders? Yes, we loved the Saturday night service. I begged Chris to bring it back. He keeps saying no, uh, so I don't think it's ever coming back, uh, but we did that, and then uh, when the transition took place in New City, uh, we were grateful to stay and be a part of the ministry, and uh, we attend the South Park campus, 930 typically uh, is our service uh, and blessed to be here. I'm also an elder. Uh, this is going into my second year of being an elder at the church and blessed to work alongside a wonderful group of men passionate about this ministry and with Chris and Gabe and the others. Uh, and so we love, this has been home for us. We love uh, New City and all that it stands for. And we love this. We love that there's a group that wants to come together and learn from one another and to study together. My uh, day job is I am the head of school at Charlotte Christian School here in Charlotte. Uh, we're, if you're not familiar with us, we're a K-12 school and uh, know some of you through that connection, but I've been there for, again, this is my 14th school year and blessed to be a part of that. Prior to that, I've worked at three other Christian schools, uh, where one in Connecticut, one in New York, and one in South Florida, and I was a history teacher by training. So you'll probably see some of that coming out. Uh, I've also taught Bible in my career as well, and so uh, one of the things I love to do, but I don't get to do as often as head of school, is to uh, open God's Word and to teach it. So excited to be a part of uh, the teaching team. So we are very blessed with seven children, uh, and this is our family, uh, and we had three children get married in the last four months. Uh, yeah, I don't recommend it. Um, we will be passing the plate, uh, not, for this, not for the church, but for the Gillers uh, in a little bit. Uh, and so, let's see if I can introduce people, if I remember everybody. Um, that's my wife in the blue dress. That's my daughter right in the middle. That's my daughter, Hope. She's the one that got married in the middle of the summer, July. Uh, and so she actually teaches at Charlotte Christian now, uh, and her husband, Will, who's right next to her in the green bow tie, is from Alabama. He went to Reformed Theological Seminary, and he just was ordained, uh, and he's a pastor at Sovereign Grace Church here in Charlotte. So uh, excited for them and the ministry that they're a part of. Uh, and then she has a twin sister, Emma, who's at the far left. She's the one that got married uh, in May. Uh, and she's the one that just called me. That was, yes, my phone that went off. I apologize. Uh, and she just called me. She lives in Pittsburgh with her husband, Andrew, uh, and they both work at Robert Morris University in the athletic department. Uh, and so uh, we're grateful for where God's called them to be. Right next to her is uh, my daughter-in-law, Ashton, who just joined our family uh, about three weeks ago. It was the last wedding. Uh, it was 99 degrees outdoor wedding, not recommended either, uh, and I had the privilege of being the officiant of that wedding, which was awesome uh, and so blessed, but they met at Charlotte Christian. Her husband, Jacob's right behind 
and they uh, both are here in Charlotte. She's a Christian counselor, and uh, Jacob works for Rogers Builders. And then next to them is probably the most important person. That's our first grandchild, Josie. Uh, And if you go to the nursery, there's a picture of Josie on the wall uh, when she was an infant. Um, And so uh, she's about a year and a half. That's uh, my daughter Maggie right in front and her husband Kevin behind. Maggie is our oldest. Uh, And Maggie and Kevin both worked at the Cotswold Chick-fil-A. Maggie worked there for 13 years, high school, college, and then was part of the management team. If you've driven by, it's no longer there. So uh, they're not working right now uh, as they're getting ready to redo that to make it a little better traffic flow. I'm sure if you've been stuck in that, you understand why we're doing that, right? So uh, very grateful to have them close. They do attend New City, which is a lot of fun for us. I told you about Hope and Will, my wife. In the back behind my wife is uh, Faith. She's our seventh child, and she is a junior in uh, high school. So she's here in Charlotte with us at Charlotte Christian with me. And then in the back is uh, Jonah and Millie. Uh, He's our second child, and he works here with Ron Blue Financial Ministries uh, in the city of Charlotte. And his wife, Amelia, is a a Christian counselor. They had their first baby uh, just about two and a half weeks ago. Uh, And so we now have grandchild number two. My wife said I needed a picture. I forgot to put that into the display. Uh, but there, And then my sixth child is in the far right, and that's Jediah, and he is a senior at Wheaton College uh, in Illinois, which is where my wife and I both met. And then he just got engaged Labor Day weekend, so we're going to have the fourth wedding next May. So it will be four weddings in 364 days uh, is what's going on here. Uh, and he met his wife, uh, Skyler, or his fiance Skyler, uh, in uh, Wheaton, but she's actually from North Carolina. She's from the Asheville area, and so that's the Giller family, and we are going to take a test. <laughs> if you can name all the names, that would be great. Uh, I'm just kidding. But I, I share this because when we introduce ourselves, and you're about to do this, it's a, it's a snapshot. There's a lot more to my story. You heard a little bit about my profession. You heard about my family. You've heard about our, our church background. But it's really, that doesn't tell you everything about me, right? It doesn't tell you all the pieces and how I got to where I am and how God's used those experiences. It does not. And, and this is part of the whole premise for tonight as we talk about creation. We've got to remember creation is like a snapshot. The creation account that we have in Genesis 1 and 2 is really like a snapshot. It doesn't tell us the whole story. And I don't think it is intended to tell us the whole story. Uh, and sometimes we want it to tell us the whole story, right? And we want to understand, well, tell me exactly how did that happen. And that's not how God gave his word to us. And so I want you to keep that in mind as we go through tonight's lesson that really Genesis 1 and 2 is like this picture. It's a snapshot. It gives you a taste and understanding. It gives you a little bit, but doesn't give you all the information about my family, and nor does it take, uh, give you all the information for creation. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take minute and a half, and you're going to prepare your 60-second introduction to your table. You can go any direction you want, how you got here, why you're here, your background, your family, but you're going to have 60 seconds, and we're going to time it. We're going to have a timer up here, and it's going to be rapid fire uh, because we want to keep it in our time frame so we make sure we get you out of here on time because I've been in situations where you do this and someone gives you a longer story. Uh, and so we're going to keep everyone to 60 seconds. So I'm going to give you a minute and a half to two minutes to prepare your thoughts, and then we'll go. I think we have a couple of tables with eight. Is that right? I just want to make sure. So we're going to go for eight minutes. So some tables, you might have a little extra time. 
uh, right? How, how many have eight at their table? Okay, so we have a couple. All right. Take a few minutes to prepare to share your 60-second introduction. Hopefully you got to know your table mates a little bit. Now, once again, if you did not like the people you're sitting with after you just met them, you can change tables, right? Tammy said you, you can email her, so that will, no questions asked is what I was told. So, again, hopefully the exercise to get to know your table mates, but also keep in mind, you just met someone, maybe you didn't know who they were, you met them, you got 60-second introduction, you know some things, but you don't know everything. And that's what we want to keep in mind as we talk about the creation account. All right, so uh, pre-work. How many of you were not here last week? Okay, all right, so you're off the hook unless you knew the pre-work. Okay, remember, I'm a teacher by training, and we give tests, right? Yes, okay, good. All right, I need you to take out a device, if you could, it could be on your phone, and it could be a laptop, it could be an iPad, whatever you got, and you need to do one of these two things. You need to go to pollev.com, and you can see the whole address there, or you can text my name, 083, that's a zero, uh, to 37607, and that should bring you to a site that you can answer a question for me. This is always the danger of, does technology work? Oops, sorry. You do not need to enter your name. If you get to that screen, you can just hit skip. And you're going to answer a question about which of the pre-work you did. We are not judging you. This is a no-judgment zone. We just want to kind of get a feel for, as we begin our discussion, where we're at. And you could check more than one on the question if you get to that part. And you don't need to enter your name. You can hit skip below the blue button if you're on. Just one question. <laughs> you should not have to do the app, I hope. Hmm. Hole is full. How is that possible? Well, that's why then, huh? All right. Yeah, you went to the right spot. I'm not used to having this many students. Yes, it does. Okay. All right, you hold on. We're going to come back and fix that in a second. But we did get some answers. Until we got full, I didn't realize I had a filter on there that kept the number at max. At Charlotte Christian School, we like to have a small teacher-student ratio. And so I wasn't prepared for the, uh, the large class. But, okay, let's just do this. No judgment zone. How many of you did everything, all the pre-work? You got it all done. All right. Oh, that's awesome. Perfect. Okay, that helps us. Good. The bottom line for today and the purpose of tonight's session is really to say that the creation story launches the one true story. The creation story launches the one true story. 
This is the launch point that God has decided to give to us as he begins to tell his story. How many of you are familiar with the Jesus, the Jesus Storybook Bible? It's a wonderful resource, especially if you have grandkids or children. Uh, and I'm just going to read to you how Sally Lloyd-Jones wrote about God's story for us. And Gabe hit on this a little bit last week. Again, this is the Jesus Storybook Bible. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of this story, there's a baby. And every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in the puzzle. His piece, or sorry, the piece that makes all other pieces fit together. And suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. And this is no ordinary baby. This is the child on which everything would depend. This is the child who would one day, but wait, our story starts where all good stories start, right at the very beginning. And in the beginning, there was nothing, nothing to hear, nothing to feel, nothing to see, only emptiness and darkness and nothing but nothing. But God was there, and God had a wonderful plan. I'll take this emptiness, God said, and I'll fill it up. Out of the darkness, I'm going to make it make light. And out of the nothing, I'm going to make everything. It's a beautiful way to think about the creation story. But what I love in the beginning is she says, every story in the Bible whispers the name of Jesus. And so when we think about creation, I have to admit, I don't often think that way. I don't think about Jesus. I don't think about the whole story. I think more about, well, how did it happen? How can there be nothing, right? And my, and my mind starts to go down these rabbit trails, or was it really 24 hours or was it not? And what about this? And where did the other people show up? And, how, and all the questions that I'm sure some of us have wrestled with over the years. But when we start to go down those trails and we start to get to the point where we're trying to understand all the details, we're missing the point. We're missing the point of the story, which is the point to Jesus. And this is why the creation story is the launch of the one true story. So I'm curious, what did you learn about the creation story growing up? Just shout out, what what are some things that you learned growing up, if you grew up in the church, or even if you didn't grow up in the church, what did you learn about the creation story? Created us out of the overflow of his love. Awesome. Adam and Eve. Six days and rest. What else? Adam? 
<laughs> Adam had to name everything. And what was he really doing all day? Right? Yeah. It's good. What else? Man is created in God's image. Man rebelled against God. God said it was good. Yeah, great picture. If you didn't hear, she said God was made from the side of man, not from somewhere else. And it's a picture of being a helpmate to come alongside. The serpent tricked Eve. Yep. Anything else? Adam was incomplete without Eve. Yeah. Good. Anything else? Anybody have this growing up? This is the flannel graph of my Sunday school days back in the day, and I remember these. Anybody else? Flannel graph Sunday school? Yes. Back in the day. Uh, and, it, you know, it, it was probably all out of good intention, but there's some pieces that we'd have to wonder about um, and as we think about this. Is there anything up there you'd go, I'm not sure how accurate that might be based on what I read this week in my pre-read uh, as we came together. Adam and Eve's pre-fall outfit is <laughs> not showed, yes. <laughs> Appreciate that. We are a PG, PG uh, class here. It's only showing one tree. It's good, yeah. Which is interesting. Anything else? This isn't a trick question. It's just... Yeah, what's the okay, question up here? What's the flaming sword or the... I think that's an angel, right? Yeah. Yeah, torch or flaming sword. Does anybody know where that comes into the story? When they're, when they're exiled, right? And they're sent out, and then the angel guards, right? I'm assuming that's what that part of this story is. Yeah. It's hard to see. Adam and Eve look very white. Not sure that would be an accurate depiction based on where they were and things along those lines, right? And so we just got to keep in mind some of the things we've learned, some of the things that we've been taught, we have to put through the filter of story, God's intent, the audience. You know, we like to teach about in our Bible classes that context is king. You need to understand the context of what's taking place and who God used to write Genesis and how that was to be used and how it was perceived, how it was received, who was the receiver of the books, and how did that come together. So here's what I'd like you to do. At your table, table leaders, you should have some questions under the session one. I just want you to talk at your table about these questions, and it would be questions two through four under session one. Consider how the creation account in Genesis is an introduction and not a complete explanation. Just talk about that. Again, the lesson here being we introduce ourselves, we did not completely explain ourselves. How is the Genesis account similar to that? In the ancient world, why was the Genesis 1 and 2 account controversial? Why would it be controversial to the ancient hearer of this? So you've got you to kind of take off your South Charlotte understanding of the Bible and think about what if I was living back then? Why would this be controversial 
And then why is it controversial today? Why is this account? So take a couple minutes, talk about those questions. Table leaders, you just lead your group through those questions, and then we'll come back together in a couple minutes. Does anybody want to share from your table? We're going we're gonna to skip the introduction one because we've talked about that a little bit, but why was the Genesis account one and two controversial in the ancient world? Who wants to share? Yes, sir. A lot of polytheistic religions. Yeah, a lot of polytheistic religions. Religions or people who worship many gods. So, yes. Why else? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a, it's a matter of who created, right? Is it man created God or God created man? So this would be controversial for a lot of the, what was the ancient religions? Anything else? People were polytheistic. People had the belief that man created God. Anything else? How about the second one? Why is it controversial today? Why is the Genesis 1 and 2 account controversial today? Evolution, Big Bang, which could all be put on another umbrella, which is science. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry? Someone to answer to. It's accountability. Yeah. Personal truth. What would you say right in front of that? I'm sorry. It leads no room for personal truth. I like that we said it's the same problem because in many ways our culture is polytheistic, right? We're worshiping many gods. self Science, money, what else? What else can we throw in there? Fame, social status, power, Instagram followers. Carbon neutrality. <laughs> Amazon, <laughs> Patriots. I'm a New England fan. We're Owen too. Panther fans, you understand? Yes. Sorry. I'm sorry. What were you going to say, Conrad? Yeah, we're given dominion over the earth, not the other way around. Yeah. I'm sorry? Feminism, maybe? Yeah, what do you mean by that, Tom? Yeah. Yeah. Women being made from man. And also, sometimes the woman gets blamed, right, in this whole story? Yes. Yeah. 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 If you can't completely understand it or give a definition, it's controversial because in our culture, in our society, we're gonna, we want to understand and explain everything, even if it means we're redefining words in our today's culture, right? Who would have thought 10 years ago that we had at our school to redefine what male and female meant? It was always assumed, right? But we had to, we had to come out and say that because culture is redefining words, right? And so here we are going back to an ancient account saying, no, this is how we define creation. So it's going to be controversial. 
Anything else on that? So it makes it a tall task, right, to defend it in some ways, right, in our culture. Whether it was back then or today, how do you defend the creation account? That's what we want to talk a little bit about as we go through this. But for us to be able to defend, because I think, uh, I love the comment about we don't fully understand, are we called to fully understand? I don't think that's what God's calling us to do. What is he calling us to do? To be obedient and to trust, right? To walk faithfully is what we're being called to do. We're not being called to explain creation for him, right? We're being called to walk faithfully, to trust, not to understand all the things. And that's hard. So what would you say? What is the point of the creation story within the bigger picture, the meta-narrative, as Gabe talked last week? If you think about the whole scriptures, Genesis to Revelation, what's the point of creation in there? And I think we've got to go back to the original intent, right? And so if we go back, the creation account, we have to understand who the author of creation was. Now, I'm not, God's the author, but he used a man and he used Moses, right? So scholars are going to tell us that Moses is the author of creation. Moses comes onto the scene much later, so it's a look back, Right? And we said last week, Genesis is a foundational book. So what does that mean in terms of, we talk about some of the other books, when we say it's a foundational book, Chris and Gabe talk about this in uh, different sermon series when we enter a new book, what does it mean to be a foundational book? Because there are several of those in both the Old and New Testament. What's the point of a foundational book? The basis, I heard something, something to hold on to, is that what I heard? Sets the tone, historical narrative, lays the framework, all that's going to be a part of it, right? And so Genesis is a foundational book. It's laying the framework. It's a launch point for what's to come later. And it's important to remember that it's not an instructional book, right? Genesis is not in that category. And so as we think about the creation story, it's important just to keep that. What was Moses' intent? Who was Moses' audience? Israel, his people, right? And so what was Moses, God using Moses, what was the point of going back to Genesis? And part of this story, when, in terms of where they were in the journey, the Israelites, what do you think God was trying to do through Moses with the Genesis account? Yeah, so it sets up the order. I love that what you said. It sets it up, Right? So again, Moses is looking back with the Israelites and saying, this is how we got here, <laughs> right? This is a, he's trying to answer their question, well, what's going on? We're in the wilderness maybe, and what are we doing? And remember where they came from, polytheistic, Egyptian culture. And Moses is going, let's remember how this all started. He's reminding them of the story. He's reminding them of the story, which this is the first time it's going to be written down. Yeah, Mary. Yeah, unfolding God's plan of salvation for all, Abraham to Christ. Yeah, perfect. So he's setting the table. He's launching it. And that's why it's a foundational book. It's to remind God's people of the story. They're looking back. And he's telling his people, hey, well, hey, we may be wandering right now, but there's a purpose to this. There's a plan that's taking place. We're on a journey. 
And it's this thought of being one God in a polytheistic world, right? It's pretty clear that there's a reason why the sun and the moon is called out in the, in the creation account because the ancient world, they worship the sun and the moon, right? And he say, no, no, they're not to be worshipped. They're created. I created them. It's a contrast to what is being lived out in the polytheistic world. And there's the Garden of Eden was a place of abundance, right? It's very clear that Genesis counts that it's a place of abundance. What did the ancient people think they had to do? They had to feed the gods, right? And so this is the contrast. And so that's why it's so important to understand the context because Moses, God's using him to set a contrast to what they lived and was around them in culture because in their world was, we have to feed the gods. We have to sacrifice to the gods. He's saying, no, no, I created a place of abundance for you. You're not to feed me, right? And so that's part of the whole creation narrative that we have. And he's a living, breathing God. If you listen to some of the Bible project, and I can't, I, I, don't, I cannot pronounce Hebrew words and, and the various things, but he talks about the breath of God, right? It's very important that that's included in the, in the Genesis account because he's saying, no, we're, this God is a breathing God, and all the gods you're worshiping, you, you create them. They're wood and they're rock, and they have no breath. They have no life. I'm a living God. And again, so everything in that one and two is to set up a contrast to what was being worshiped at the time, and he calls us to trust and not understand as he gives us this launching point. So then you have to go into this and understand it's set in order for us, right? How long is a day, right? I went to a Christian college, Wheaton College, and this is like we had to debate this all the time. So I'll let you read the cartoon. It took me a couple minutes to figure out what it meant. When you go to a Christian college, sometimes we debate things that you don't need to debate. We get really involved in things, right? And so I found this, and I got permission from Chris to put this up here. And so my wife said, I wouldn't do it, but Chris said yes. So I went pastor over wife. I don't know if that's a wise decision, but I'm not reading it out loud. <laughs> I believe there's a recorded, right? I knew that. <laughs> Off the record. <laughs> if you do not know what one of those words or phrases is, do not Google until you're off campus, okay? And then, but... But, but there's some truth. I, this actually showed up in my, uh, I know we don't call it Twitter anymore. What is it? X feed? My X feed this week. Uh, and I said, this is too funny not to think about it. But there's truth to this, right? This is part of it because we're, we're trying to take context. We're trying to take words that have meanings, and we're trying to apply it to right now, and it gets lost in translation. Uh, and so that's important. And so I say that about days and how long is a day. Uh, Again, in my call, we spend a lot of time talking about our young earth, old earth, all the things that go with that, and, and we miss the point. We miss the point of what we're supposed to be studying, right? And so when we do this, there, it's pretty clear what God is doing is we look at the days and we lay them out, there's, and there's a parallelism to here, right? There's, a, there's an order. God is a God of order. There's a plan. He takes nothing and he separates light and dark, and the first three days is to form and days four, five, and six is to fill. And so God had a very systematic plan, and he's a God of order. 
and the purpose is there for us. In the messages, we're going from dark and chaos to what God's intent is. And then the seventh day. And the seventh day was for what? Rest. But you know what's fascinating? There's no end to the seventh day in the Genesis account. Right? Every day had a morning and a night except for the seventh day. But it doesn't tell us that. It's fascinating to think about. What do you think God was saying by doing that? Always rest in him. Any other thoughts? It's protection of perfection. Is that how you said that? Yeah, I love that. Protection of perfection. Yeah. Which it was until Genesis 3. Right? It's a great picture. It's not intended to end. It's eternity. The seventh day is eternity. Right? And so right at the beginning, the first page of Scripture, he's given us a picture of Revelation. The whole story comes together. We're not going to do the poll again because I couldn't figure out how to get more of you in there. I tried to do that when we had our break. But if you're willing, we're going to ask you this question. Okay? Are you a young earther? That's the literal 24-hour translation of the, so each day as we outline in the scriptures, 24 hours as we know a 24-hour, are you an old earth? The days were a longer period of time, or are you, I, I have no clue. Or, or you could put a D, I don't care. Okay, and there's no wrong answer, right? Because we're all friends and there's a no judgment zone. But I grew up in a church that said there was a right answer. And that created a lot of consternation, right? So anybody want to say you're going with the young earth? Yeah, a couple. All right, great. Old earthers? All right. I have no clue what we're talking about right now. All right, great. Here's a chart, and I apologize, it's a little small to see. I'll try to get out of the way here. But if we were to lay this out, because I do think if we're going to be wise and discerning believers, we should at least understand the different theories that are out there, right, and what different people believe and how they look at this story. And so you have on the first column the scientific view, right, and again, very prevalent in our culture today. The creator had no competence because there was no real creator, right? The view of man, no competence, time in billions of years, mechanism, evolution, or some kind of automatic process, right? That's what science is screaming for us in terms of what took place. And I know there's a lot of nuances to this, but this is, I thought, the simplest way to look at the different views of this. Young earth creationism, God's the creator. Man is the pinnacle of creation because he is in God's image. Creation, the timing of it was six days, and so we have several in here who would say that's what they believe. And the mechanism is special creation. It is God doing it through creation, the way it kind of outlined in the Genesis narrative. Old earth creationism is going to say the same thing. God is the creator. Man's the pinnacle, but it took a lot longer. Each day is not literal 24 hours, but it's maybe it's a period of time. It's an error. Maybe they're not even the same periods of time between the days. But it took a much longer span. Hey, in special creation, God is the creator, and it was not through what we would say evolution. 
uh, in terms of the terms. Theistic evolution would say God's the creator. Man's the pinnacle of creation. So again, you should see some themes here. Again, took billions of years. And the different nuance here is, well, yeah, yeah, evolution seems like there's some truth to that. And I believe God set forward evolution or God pressed the button or God moved it, whatever you want to use, but God is the initiator. Think of it almost like dominoes. And he pushed the first domino for evolution to get going. That's where theistic evolution would come in. And then naturalism would say there is no creator. Man's just another animal, billions of years in unguided evolution. And natural, naturalism and scientific view have you know, a lot of similarities. It's an oversimple explanation, but I think it's important to at least understand in a body of believers that as we look at Scripture, that there are times where it's okay to maybe not exactly have the exact same opinion. Now, I think we have to agree on the essentials, right? And for me, the essential of the creation story is it's part of a bigger story and God is the creator, right? To me, that's the essential. But I told you I grew up in a church where if you were not, and they, this was a, we were a young earth church, if you were not a young earther, eh, I'm not sure you fit in, right? And that's sad if that's what happens in our community and our churches today, right? Because sometimes we major on the minors, um, because if you look at this, what do we have in common? If you're in somewhere in the middle of those, the three columns, there's a lot in common, right? And so maybe we should look at what we are in common with rather than where the differences are. We heard last week we talked about biblical worldview, right, the lens through which we view the world. And so I believe as believers, as Christ followers, that we can look at this and say, you know what, we may have a little bit of a different opinion of exactly how this happened, but that's okay because, again, we're not called to understand. We're called to trust and be faithful and walk together. And so it's a, it's a fine line to walk, and I understand it could be controversial. I did reach out to Chris uh, after I showed him my funny uh, text. I said, hey, I just want to be sure, does, does the evangelical free church have a stance? And they do not. They do not come out and say, here's the column the e-free church sits in. You know, in my world at Charlotte Christian, we do not pick one of these columns either. We say we believe God is the creator, and it's part of a bigger story, and it's an introduction, and it's a launch pad. And so that's how we would take a look at uh, what takes place. Any questions on that? You know, going a little academic there in terms of just the, the different views of that, but any questions or comments? Yes, sir. Yeah, that's a great question. How widely accepted among churches is the theistic evolution? Yeah. I'm going to let Tammy answer that. She's on staff. <laughs> I would say, I'll give, you, I'll give you from my world, academic world, at, at my level, and even at the collegiate level for Christian colleges, a lot of them sit in the theistic evolution. And... Anybody want to guess why they sit there? It could, it's right. They're afraid. Okay. They're playing it safe. I'm not going to disagree with you. But who are they playing it safe with? Academia. And specifically, correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's in a lot of, you know, again, I'm, I'm speaking about the college I went to. They're going to land there, and it's the science department 
has a strong opinion about this, right? And so a lot of the places in academia, you're balancing your Bible department and your science department, and they're going to take different columns. But I would say in the churches, that's a great question. I wouldn't have a great answer for you uh, in terms of that. But I think it's gained a lot more steam recently. No, I appreciate it. That's exactly right. The, The view of numbers and order and the way they thought was very different. And so we try to put our worldview into that worldview, and it doesn't compute, right? And you're exactly right. Seven was meant to be for the number of perfection, which is why everyone should have seven kids, <laughs> right? Which I can assure you is not perfection. <laughs> but, but you're exactly right. And I remember, you know, reading the Bible as a kid going, how did this guy live 985 years? Like, did that really happen? Did it not happen? And then, you know, they go to Daniel, and you're going to count the weeks. And where? Yeah, so I think you're exactly right. We need to be careful not to put our viewpoint of how we look at numbers today on top of that. Well, great point. Yes, sir? They're, they're not giving any credit to the rational thought process of man, meaning it's, it's all random, and there, there's no ability for reason there. That's my understanding, I, and I could be totally off on that, but because I, I had the same question, I'm going through it. What does that really mean, no competence in man? Correct. Or Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah, you have to go to the beginning part of that, which is the assumption it's all random, right, and play, and play that out. Yeah. All right, let's do this. Let's go to, to uh, session two or part two on your – so at your table, as a group, we want you to just look at a couple of these questions as you go into the Genesis account, and you can pull out your scriptures and look into it. You can go back into the books that you read in the pre-work. Um, but let's answer these questions. What are some of the poetic and parallels as you go through the account of Genesis 1 and 2? What does it really mean to be made in the image of God? And what was good in Eden? I want you to list what is good in Eden. All right, let's come back together. Heard a lot of great discussion. What are some of the poetic elements? I think our, our author of the casket book did a great job with this, but what are, what are some of the poetic elements? Hmm. Repetition? Rhythm? Anything else? Spoken? Imagery? Yeah. Uh, Ryan shared it. It was interesting in the Hebrew words, there's a, there's a limited number of Say it again. Hebrew words, words, yes. Yeah. What about the parallel elements of it? We said some of it already. Day one, day four, so the chart I had up there about form and fill. Again, the repetition, it's parallel. God, at the beginning of the day, said one thing. At the end of the day, he said something else, right? So you you can go through the account. Why Why do you think God made it? through Moses, poetic and parallel. What's the point of that? Yeah, great point. Easier to remember in an oral tradition. Yeah. Because remember, this was passed down until we got to Moses. And then even after that, it's an illiterate community. So it's still being passed by the word of mouth. Yeah, that's great. Easier to remember. It's a numeric device in some ways. Yeah. Anything else? What do we think about when you were in English class and you said, we're going to learn about poetry? Uh. 
<laughs> How many people liked it? Oh, we had, all right, okay. There's a beauty to it, right? There's a beauty to it. There's an art to it. And I, I don't, you know, again, in our translations, I think we lose that, right? We lose a little bit of that, that there's a beauty, there's an art to this, that God is projecting his creativity and his wisdom and his beauty into the pages of Genesis 1 and 2. And sometimes we just read through it, we forget that. Uh, and so that's why I think the poetic and the parallel and just the way it reads, it's about his beauty. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. And again, you go back to the numbers and what the numbers mean, the perfection, yeah. Yeah, completion, yeah. So good. What does it mean for man to be made in God's image? It's a, it, you know, we said it in, in you know, the biblical worldview, the pinnacle of creation. So what does that mean for us to be made in God's image? Shared character? Yeah. I couldn't hear you. I'm sorry. Priestly kings? Yes. Spiritual? Responsibility for creation? Good? Like that? Here's some of the things I jotted down. God's image, we're a royal representative. I think, again, our author of the casket book talked about it. We're a royal representative. We're part of the king's family. But we have a role to play. I love that. Was it Mary Jo, right? Did you say good? Love that. Said it was good. Before Adam did anything. I think that's key. Adam didn't perform He didn't name all the animals yet. He was good upon creation. Now, I'm not taking away original sin, so we're not going there. Christine gets to do that next week. But I think that's important to think about in a culture where we're in an identity crisis of performance, right? And we're trying to do things, and we're trying to show, and we're trying to perform and earn God's favor by going to New City Academy, by going to church, by doing our body. All the things that we layer on top of ourselves as I'm going to show that I'm good. And God said it was good before he did anything. Again, original sin, the fall comes, I understand all that. But I think it's important as we just think about how God views us. He says, you are loved, you're part of my family, and you're good before you do anything. It's powerful. It's important for us to remember that. Royal task. And then he did get some assignments. And we have an assignment. Right? Man had an assignment. We have assignments. Okay? We have rule to dominion over the world. Okay? And then it was eternal. There was no death. It's important to think about that as a pinnacle of creation. I asked you to put what was good. Here's some of the things we talked about being a place of abundance. It was good that God had direct relationship with man. God was present. You see that? Again, this image of at the cool breeze. There's, a, there's an imagery there about God's breath and what that really means. Man and women together, we talked about that before, not ashamed. And there was work. These are some of the things that God said was good. 
pre-fall. What's the, what's the implication then for us living today, pre-fall, it was good, this is a picture of eternity. What's the implication for us today as we live our lives as we think about some of these bullets? Anybody want to share? What, how, do you, how do you then take this and apply this? I'm sorry? <laughs> apply it fearfully. Amen to that. Yeah. What else? They all apply today. Everybody we interact with is in the image of God. Every human that we interact with is created in the image of God. That carries a weight to it and how we interact. What else? Yeah. Yeah. Start drawing the line of what's not good and where things have gone off. Yeah. From God's original intent. Any other thoughts? Yeah. We should still be doing this. Right? We should still. This is the aim in many ways, if you think about it that way. Right? And so there's a piece of this where you have an assignment. You're not naming animals, but you have a task. You have a job that God has given you in your family, in your professional work, at your church. We've been given tasks in their royal assignments. Absolutely. Yeah, we're stewards. We've been given a, a role of stewardship of what God's blessed us with individually, but also collectively in the earth itself. Yeah. When we talk to our students a lot, we talk about you don't have to go into Christian ministry, right, to have a royal or priestly or an assignment from God. You can go into the banking world. You could be a lawyer. You could be in the medical world. Whatever it is, that's part of your assignment. And, and the, the, the call there is to be faithful what you've been called to. Right? That's part of what this picture of that he was, Adam was given an assignment. He was given work to do. I think, personal opinion, this will be what's going to happen in the eternity is we're going to have royal assignments. I had a fear growing up that it, I would be, I think, the gentleman back here, so I was going to be like, is, is like heaven just one long praise service? And, you know, like, that seems like a lot of songs to me is in my head. And I'm thinking, are we... Do we get bored? Like, yeah, a lot of standing and, uh, yeah. I, woo, is it, is it praise worship? Is it hymns? I mean, we can go down that road. I mean, there's, right? But it's the wrong picture of heaven, right? It, we're going to have things to do. We're going to have an assignment. It's like we're back in creation. And, and so we've got to take this account of Genesis 1 and 2 and think about it in eternity. And that's, again, the whole story of what God's unfolding for us as he launches. Here's what we're going to do to close out our time. I'd love you to open your scripture. You're going to do this individually. So for our last 10, 15 minutes, you're going to work individually. But I want you to go to Psalm 104. It's a beautiful psalm. And I want you to work through Psalm 104 and look at the questions. They're on the screens, but they're also on the papers that are there for you. Uh, And if you have a place to take notes or in your journal, answer these questions as we look at Psalm 104. If you didn't get through, that's okay. I just want to talk just a couple minutes before we close our time together about this. I saw one commentary uh, said that this is a psalm of creation. There's a beautiful picture of it, and hopefully you saw that in there. Um, but as always, studying God's Word, we need to understand the context. So what kind of book is the book of Psalms? Poetry book. On our hangers, we put a, on the instructional, right? 
and this is in some commentary, we don't know who the author is. This is some of the Psalms they tell us and some they don't. Most scholars, biblical scholars, are going to attribute this Psalm to, who do you think? It's an easy guess. Not Jesus, but David, right? And so it's not, it's not explicitly said for us, but a lot of the biblical scholars would say they believe this is a Psalm of David um, and written as a prayer. Right? I thought it was a beautiful picture of prayer. And it made me think about my prayer life. Uh, and I didn't see the laundry list of things I'm asking for in this prayer, right? So it's a good reminder of, of my own prayer life and a challenge for me to think about, am I pausing, as was mentioned, to praise God for the beauty of creation? What does the psalmist, as you read through this, and anybody wants to share, what does the psalmist convey about God's role in creation throughout this psalm? Anything jump out to you? Is that the center? Total control. Very thoughtful, sophisticated, generous. Creator and sustainer. Love that. Order. Is that what I heard? Karen. Provider. How about how does this psalm... Uh, mirror the language of Genesis 1 and 2. Yeah. You can go back and see some of the, again, parallelisms between the days of Genesis 1 and 2 and what David, if it is David, wrote, lays out in this psalm, correct? Anything else? Brings a little more specifics, details, and brings some, yeah, I like that you said the activity of creation. That's a beautiful picture of that and fills in some of the things we didn't necessarily hear in the Genesis account. Anything else? The goodness, the earth is satisfied. Yeah. Yes, sir. I didn't mean to say it that way, but because good to very good to great. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, the cycle of life. Yeah, and I think that's a key part. I want to make sure, like I said, what we see every day, and, and I forget this, right? But the, the story of creation is through Scripture. It doesn't end in Genesis 2, right? And it's still going on. God is still creating, and we can't lose that picture. It's part of the story about who he is. He's a creator, and so it continues. One of the commentaries I looked at said he would summarize Psalm 104 as God creates, God delights, we delight. It's a good reminder for all of us, right, as we think about the creation story. God creates, God delights. We delight. What was the bottom line for us? As we think about the creation account, Genesis 1 and 2, what was our bottom line for today? The creation story launches the one true story. And we begin with to see God's plan for his people. And as God is the creator continues today, and we should delight in his creation. And we are his royal representatives. It's a high calling. But he gives us what we need to do that. And we're going to learn that all the way through uh, the Old Testament. So great to be with you tonight. Let me close our time in prayer. Father God, we are so grateful for this time, for this opportunity, for this church, for these people, that we could come together as believers and open your word. And Lord, we are in awe as we think about your creation. I admit in my own life, I don't pause enough to think about that, to recognize the beauty of creation around me. 
And so, Lord, I ask that you help me and help my friends that as we recognize your creation, your delight in your creation, that we join you in that delight and give you all the praise and glory. And as the psalm ends, that's our prayer tonight. May our meditation be pleasing to you, for we rejoice in you. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. May all the honor and glory go to you and you alone. And we pray these things in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Have a great week.